Hello and welcome back to another podcast replay. This is essentially where Christy and I have a look back through our archives. First of all, starting with Women Today, which was way back when. I can't even remember how many years ago. And there are some amazing stories in there and we want you to have the chance to hear them if you haven't already. Also, we had a little bit of an offshoot series, didn't we? It was called Conister Rocks, and it was when we invited well-known people from the Isle of Man into the studio to tell us about their life through music choices. And this week, we're giving you another chance to hear a Conister Rocks episode with Roger Smith, OBE, uh, the watchmaker who learned his craft from Dr George Daniels, who a lot of people may remember lived on the Isle of Man and uh, was a very successful watchmaker. So he chose some music, he told us about his childhood, and he told us what it was like working with the famous Dr George Daniels. Fast and my good afternoon. Thanks to uh, Stu, of course, for talking heads and to Rianne for the news. It's six minutes past two. I'm Christy Dehaven, and today we're back on the Conister Rock, where we spend an hour sharing music and memories with some of our best loved island personalities. I'm joined on the rock today by one of the world's finest craftsmen in creating exceptional and highly sought after pieces, working out of a small studio space in the north of the island. I would say that I'm surprised he found the time to join us, but Roger Smith actually holds time in the palm of his hand. He can manipulate and control it with his keen eye, patient dedication and extremely nimble fingertips. As a world-renowned watchmaker who crafts his creations from precious metals, gemstones and the tiniest of handcrafted components using skills passed down for hundreds of years, he describes his work as the purest of mechanical arts. Uh, Roger Smith, I'm delighted uh, you've been able to join us today. Thank you so much for, as we say, finding the time. I had to get that pun in there. You must, be so, you must be so fed up of puns about time, seriously. That was uh, the best intro ever. Was it? Yes. I am going to save that clip and use it forever. Roger Smith said it was the best intro ever. Hooray! Um, I have to ask you then, talking about time, does what you do with your work make you more sort of keenly aware of the passage of time? Um, oh, I'm not so sure about that, really. Um, I'm always sort of very punctual. Um <laughs> But no, no, I mean, not at all. It's uh, it's just this focus on trying to make these, I suppose, very extraordinary watches. And they are extraordinary. We're going to talk about them much more over the, the course of the next hour or so. Uh, I do love the fact, though, speaking of time, that we ask sort of in, our, in our, our bio questions, we say, is there anything that you particularly dislike and you dislike lateness? <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> Must be punctual. Yes, very much so. Yes, hence shaving those tiny, tiny milliseconds <laughs> off, off the, uh, the watches so to make sure that they are punctual. You also describe yourself as a purist. Why is that important to you? Well, it's about uh, trying to... Um do the very best really you know and in my work you know it's about um trying to make the i suppose in my view the ultimate wristwatch and um i suppose yes that sort of carries on throughout my life really to a certain extent so yeah and what but what you do create they are so beautiful and so incredibly meticulously handcrafted what more could you possibly do to make the ultimate wristwatch it's all about the attention to detail and so you know when i'm designing a watch I will focus on every single component and uh, you know whether it's an apparently insignificant screw or a spring and I will make sure that that spring is elegant beautiful well finished fin- well you know finished beyond most ordinary standards and it's about chasing this sort of almost unattainable level of perfection that's what it's about and if you concentrate on the tiny little components that at the end of the day hopefully you have a watch which is you know at a 
built to an incredible level of quality and so on. And I know that in in some of your timepieces you can see the mechanics and you make a point of being able to see these sort of beautiful pieces working. But but are you even talking about those pieces that people can't even see? Are they even sort of you know sort of polished and created to to the nth degree? Yes, very much so. I mean, um, the under dial work, which is basically all the handset mechanism and so on, which is hidden behind a dial. There are components there which will take our watchmakers maybe two or three days to finish, to take from the very raw components right the way through to the highly polished, nicely beveled component that's ready to drop in a watch. And it can be two, three days, sometimes four days. It depends on the level of complexity. And it's that sort of attention to detail which sort of attracts me. And I'm sure, you know, every watch is going to be different. But if I was to say to you, how long does it take to hand make one of your watches? Is there a sort of ballpark time? It, um, I mean, it's a long process. It's probably about two years in total. So two years from the initial conversations with the client, ironing out the specification that they're wanting in the watch. And um, once we've sorted out that sort of, um, all that specification, then it's a matter of um, ordering all the materials to make the watch. You know, So we order the raw materials, the gold, the platinum, the nickel silver, the steels for the watch, and the build really starts from there. So it's a, it's a very long process. So the client themselves, they do actually have an input in how the watch is going to, to be at the end? Very, I mean, very much so. I mean, some people, um, they like to have, um, you know, a bit of them in there. So obviously it's a variation on my theme, but they can choose maybe engraving or case material or different um, sort of styles of finishing and so on. Ultimately, it's my watch. It's got to be within my sort of limitations, but... Um, yeah, yeah, they all they all like to have a little bit of input. Has anyone asked you for anything completely outrageous? <laughs> no, I think I mean I mean many years ago perhaps, you know, there were odd requests, but uh, Go on, tell us something. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> we ha- we've never had to put Mickey Mouse hands on a watch, but um Are you referring to my Jungle Book watch? <laughs> It's very nice. It's a handsome watch. <laughs> do you know, it, it, uh, poor Roger, bless him. I'm sure that everyone that meets him does exactly what both Stu and I did and hides the watch that they're wearing because you, you must have that from people who just think... Uh, it, it, but you're not You're not judging what people are wearing, are you? Not at all, no. I mean, watches are, uh, you know, they... You know, you can have a, a very nice watch which costs several pounds from the local petrol station going up to, you know, one of George's watches, one of his sold recently for over three million. So... You know, it's it's there's room for everyone. That's a great thing about watches. Now we'll we'll come to George in mm. in just a moment, but uh, I'm intrigued to know then how a young boy growing up in Bolton in the 70s and 80s decides he wants to be a watchmaker. Yes, well, I didn't know really. That was a thing. So uh, <laughs> fortunately, my um, I was always very practical at school, very practical, and um, you know didn't really understand school, um, but uh, my father was sort of I think he was you know he was very good he understood my limitations I suppose and he sort of pushed me in the practical direction and um, I heard about or he heard about a course um, in Manchester uh, which was um, clock and watch repairing and um, he suggested I went on that and it really was a turning point for me. And was it sort of an instant thing when you started looking at watches? Did you just immediately think, oh, this is exactly, this just fits me? Oh, yes, without a doubt. I mean, the very first day at college was, for me, the best day of education. Up until that point, 
I remember, I mean, school was, I remember sitting through lesson after lesson in a total dream, really. You know, it just didn't click at all and um, didn't make sense. I didn't really understand the purpose of it. But the first day at college, for me, suddenly my world had begun and that was it. And I was hooked, really was hooked. And obviously, it's, it's, you have come so far anyway since meeting um, the late Dr George Daniels, but he does play a very significant part in your story, so we'll, we'll talk about him uh, just for a little bit now, but I'm intrigued to know when you first became aware of him, and, and actually, when did you actually realise quite how important he was? I um, Yeah, I first met him when I was at, a college in, at this college in Manchester, and um, he visited the students, the day before we heard that this man, George Daniels, was go- coming to visit us, I didn't know who George Daniels was. Somebody told me that he made handmade watches, but I didn't believe that that was possible because I'd been surrounded by watches which had been made in the watch industry by mass production. Anyway, so the next day George Daniels arrived, walked in through the door, he's wearing this incredible three-piece pinstripe suit, you know, superb quality shoes and I thought this man there's something about him he's very special and I uh, eventually asked what was um, on the end of this pocket watch chain which was fixed to his waistcoat and out came this pocket watch called a space traveller and it's at that moment that I sort of you know realised that there's greatness in front of me and that was that was it that's all I ever have wanted to do since is to make watches by hand so and he was really completely unique wasn't he and that he he was the only person I think to initially to you know in his time to learn all of the skills necessary to to make the watch that's right so um when when he had ideas for the advancement of the mechanical timekeeper um back in the late 1960s the uh, watchmaking industry in Britain was on its knees it was virtually disappeared um so he had to learn what were, I think there were 32 trades involved in the creation of a single pocket watch. And he has to, had to master each of these. So case making, dial making, wheel making, plate making, escapement making, it, you know, the list goes on. It's a huge list. And he perfected every single one of these skills. And that enabled him to create these extraordinary watches. Because it um, used to, it would have been teams of people sort of on each sort of different skill, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was. Yes, it's very much a cottage industry and... Um, yeah, just focusing on individual items, really. So then you took it upon yourself to think, do you know what? I'm going to learn from this man. <laughs> Tell us yes. what happened next. So I, um, <clears throat> I mean, I was I was bowled over by him. And um, again, my father sort of stepped in and bought me a copy of Watchmaking, which is this book written by George, which tells you how to build a watch from start to finish. So he bought me this book for a Christmas present and I read the book cover to cover and I think I read it three or four times. And by the end of it, um, I was beginning to think that, well, if George could make a watch, well, surely I could make a watch. And that's where it sort of started and uh, the start of a very long journey. Um, and it is a beautiful story and it, it is documented, you know, sort of considerably. And there is a, a, a lovely film, Dave Armstrong made a lovely film, Watchmaker's Apprentice, all about that. Um, and we'll come back to that in a moment because it's, it's sort of remained part of your story, that that movie itself. But do you remember then that, that moment when you you finally mastered even just sort of the, the, the notion of getting a watch to tick for the first time? Yes, I mean, I... Um... 
Yes, I mean, the first watch was, you know, when you actually sit down and begin to make a watch, it's a terrifying, daunting prospect, partly because nobody apart from George had ever really done it. So I um, I built a small workshop in um, in, the, in the garage at home with my parents and kitted it out with some equipment and began making this watch. But I, you know, even when I was making the components, I still had no idea that it would tick at the end. Anyway, about 18 months later, the um, it came to the moment where it was about to tick, and it did tick, but it only just ticked. You know, the quality wasn't quite right and the finishing wasn't quite right. So it was a big step forward, really, because at least I had got past that first hurdle. And really, it was the start of the next sort of you know big journey, really, to perfect all those skills and crafts and so on to, you know, make a, a super watch. You know, that was the, the challenge. S- the sense of achievement in doing that must have been enormous. Well, it, yes, I suppose it... Well, what age were you? I was 19 then. And, um, but, you know, I had this watch which just about ticked. And, yes, I was obviously delighted, but I wanted to make a really great watch. You know, I was aware that it wasn't as good as it could have been. So, um, you know, that was the next challenge, to build a a watch which would be accepted. Something that hopefully at some stage I could sell as well. You know, ultimately you've got to make it pay. So, um yeah, that was the start of another big journey. And then eventually you did move to the Isle of Man and you became, as the, the film is called, The Watchmaker's Apprentice. And you, you've obviously come so far since then. And that's what we're going to talk about over the course of, of this next hour or so. But we'll come to your first song, your first piece of music. And I suppose creative arts in a way was sort of something that, that was always in, in your family, certainly back to the gentleman we're going to talk about now, your grandfather, because your first song refers to his sort of creative talents as such, doesn't it? Yes, he was, um, I mean, he... Um, was born in Nelson, son of a baker, and um, he he obviously didn't want to. He wasn't interested in baking, but obviously in the, in the Nelson area, there's a big textile industry. It's huge in the in that particular region, and he went to night school and he trained as a textile designer, and um, was very successful as a textile designer. But then he gradually um, moved up for, through the ranks and into management. And eventually um, he ended up running, being chairman of um, a company called uh, Carrington Viella. And so he's an impressive man and I sort of looked up to him. And um, one one weekend, my brother and myself, I think my parents were going away for a weekend and we had to make this huge journey from Bolton over the moors to Burnley. It was on the bus. We'd never done a journey like that before. And um, so we set off on this big journey that, you know, my mother put us on the bus in um, in Bolton and uh, I don't know how long the journey was, three quarters of an hour, an hour, and my grandfather was waiting at the other end and this song was playing in the car. And it is Petula Clark and Downtown. You can't forget all your troubles, forget all your cares, so go downtown, where all the lights are bright. Be 
Petula Clark in the excellent downtown. It's the first choice of music from my studio guests this afternoon. We have Roger Smith on the Conister Rock. Uh, Roger, before we go to the ad break and before we move on, I just have to ask you, what was it actually like working with George Daniels? Was he an easy man to work with? <laughs> <laughs> he was very easy if everything was going right. And, uh, <laughs> very he, diplomatic. You know, he had, um, he had, you know, very strong ideals as to you know how his watches should be finished and quite rightly um but no he was you know there were difficult times i was still learning i still had problems my skills weren't fully formed and there were times you know for example when i was trying to finish hands for this series of watches we were making i had to file and cut out of a sheet of gold a very fine seconds hand and i was really struggling and i was zooming and ahhing whether to ask him how to if you could give me some advice. And anyway, I did. And, uh, you know, it's a wonderful experience. His, you know, he had huge hands. You know, I always describe them as being like shovels. And uh, suddenly these huge hands just picked up this delicate seconds hand, a very fine little file, and started almost to caress this metal away, this gold away, and form this oh, perfect, you know, sort of hands. And, you know, while he's, ta- while he's demonstrating this, he's talking the pro- through the process of it all. And, his um, clarity of thinking was just so perfect. And, um, you know, it's a great experience. He was a brilliant teacher, really brilliant. And he invested a lot of time in me, so no no complaints. And how does it feel to be the one person that he decided to sort of pass his, his craft on to? Um, you know, I, I don't know if I think about that, really. Um, yeah, no, that's... I mean, I, I mean, I always describe it as the greatest finishing school ever. I mean, it was, you know, he's regarded as the world's greatest uh, watchmaker. And so, yeah, I mean, it was an honest honour to be there and um, great experience. And uh, you have taken that experience and run with it, shall we say. So we'll be finding out much more about that after the break. Roger Smith is with us on The Rock through till 3pm this afternoon. If you have any questions or comments for him, one double six one double seven. The Nation Station, One Dental Clinic, sponsors of Women Today, offer convenient appointment times in the heart of Douglas so you can fit your dental care into your working day. You are listening to Women Today, but we are on the Conister Rock, as per usual, on a Friday. Today, joined by watchmaker Roger Smith. Um, Roger, we've just talked about um, your time as the watchmaker's apprentice as such. Do you remember the exact moment when you thought, I am no longer the apprentice, I am now a watchmaker? (laughs) Yes, um... Well, I mean, it's it's a difficult one. I mean, you never stop learning in this sort of world. That's the thing that I have learned. Um, <clears throat> I'm just trying to think. It's uh, It was probably... I mean, the whole process has taken so long. I started making the first watch in 1998. Um, completed it... Uh, no, no, was it 98? 89. 89. 89, yeah. Completed it 18 months later. The second watch took five and a half years to make so you could argue that your first watch in really sort of took almost seven years to make yeah yeah it is it did really but they even then you know are still lacking in skills so then i moved over here in 98 worked with george for sort of three three or so years and i think it's probably only you know you know several years after that when i was had been had my my business had been set up for several years that things really started to click into place and for the first time, 
myself and the guys in the workshop actually felt in control of what we were trying to achieve. So it's a huge, huge process. And, and we're still learning. And you say yourself and the guys in the workshop. That in itself fascinates me because George sort of was almost almost prided himself in his sort of solitary life, didn't he? And, and as we were saying, it was a big thing for him to share his skills just mm. with one person. Yes. But you have a very different approach. You're very generous with your knowledge mm. and you, you are sort of building up a team of people mm. that, that you are sharing your mm. skills with. But why did you decide you wanted to do that? Um, I enjoy working with people, basically. And, you know, it, it was also... Yeah, I mean, I like working with people. I find people fascinating. Um, and there's lots I want to do in watchmaking. And I knew I could never achieve that by making one watch a year. It just wasn't feasible. So um, I took on um, our first guy, Andy Jones. Um, I think it was about 2003. And we just sort of gradually climbed up from there. And now how many people do you have? There's 11 of us now. Wow. And we've just taken on a few more people, four more people. So again, you know, the business has taken on a new sort of look and shape and feel. And um, but you know, with this real drive just to maintain the quality and try and you know get more of these watches that I have in my head out on paper and you know into production. How easy is it to explain to people exactly what is in your head to make that sort of come to life? <laughs> Well, I have to do it all. I mean, I'm the sort of chief designer, so I'll spend, you know, a good deal of time designing the next watch, and you know, um, that's it's a huge process in itself. And then after that, I have to build the prototypes, and then yes, teach everyone how to build these watches, how to finish them, and so on. So it's it's a huge process to build on to bring a new watch um, online, as it were. You know, it can be sort of two, three, sometimes four years. And it was lovely to hear a story you were telling me off air before about how it sort of come full circle in a way, because from you being uh, sort of the apprentice of George, you recently had someone contact you who had heard about your story through the film about you being the watchmaker's apprentice. Just tell us what happened after yes, that. Yes, yes. So, I mean, we um, we were advertising for, a new, for new employees just recently, and one of the guys... Um, he'll be hearing this, so I don't want to embarrass him too much, but uh, <laughs> he... Um, he was 15 years old and he heard about this film, The Watchmaker's Apprentice. He made his family all watch it with him and they watched it several times. And from that very, you know, from that point, all he's ever wanted to do is make watches. And he enrolled on a course in Manchester to learn about watchmaking. And the very first job he applied for was to come and work with us. So it's it's wonderful, you know, it's sort of come full, circus, uh, full circle and that film has inspired somebody which is you know is all you can ask just brilliant but you wouldn't be here in this position as a watchmaker right now if it wasn't for your father as you mentioned earlier on and your next piece of music is something that is somewhat inspired by him yes i mean we used to um uh, my father was a rheumatologist in manchester and um worked terrific hours you know huge work ethic and um he needed to escape, so uh, they, my parents eventually bought a second home up in the Yorkshire Dales, and that almost became a second home, really. We used to spend lots of weekends there and holidays, and in the sort of hour or so car journey up there, we used to listen to various cassettes. I think in the car there was Simply Red, who had just appeared on the market then, Shaking Stevens, and this Louis Armstrong um, track, and this was, you know, by far the best track. Saying how do you do 
And it does seem so wrong to have to lower that voice of Louis Armstrong. You just picture him smiling now, but uh, we have so much to talk to Roger Smith about. Lovely choice of music. I have to say my mother will be very pleased. It's one of her favourite songs in the world. Uh, but Roger Smith, we were talking just before we heard Louis Armstrong there about uh, you building up this team of people on the Isle of Man. Of course, you came here to learn your craft on the island with George. Why did you decide to stay and why is the Isle of Man so important to you? Um. Well, I mean, it's uh, yes. I mean, I I've I've always liked it. Fell in love with the island, really, and um, I sort of became involved with you know, met lots of people on the island, and um, obviously built a team of work, you know the workshop here. Met my wife on the island, so you know it's 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 a great place to work. It's a great place to be. And it is somewhere um, that you're, you're very proud of. And I know that you put the um, the Triskelion on every watch that you make yes. and, and on your website, you say designed yeah. and hand-built yeah. on the Isle of yeah. Man. Um, and that's got to be a great thing for the island. Well, yes, I would have thought so. I hope so. Um, I mean, I know that every single article or, you know, feature that's ever done on our work, you know, it's always um, Isle of Man watchmaker Roger Smith. So, yes, I mean, it gives us identity. You see, the, Isle, the, the watchmaking industry is predominantly Swiss, and as soon as you mention the Swiss, it's all the Swiss hills and snow peak mountains and so on. So um, for me, it gives a very distinct um, differentiation between that what is a very good but also very huge industry. And um, it just immediately sets us aside from everyone else, which is what I want. And I suppose in some ways it sort of makes them even more magical, the idea of them sort of coming from this sort of little place in the middle of the Irish <laughs> Sea. <laughs> I'm adding too much poetry to our aren't I? It's ridiculous. Stop it, Christy. Um, but let's, we can't talk about all of your watches. Obviously, you've created a, a yeah. number of them now. But I'm just going to ask you about the Series 1 because that was quite an important watch for you, wasn't it? Yeah, so the, the Series 1 wristwatch was a watch that I sort of conceived when I was leaving um, the employment of George Daniels. And, um, you know, suddenly here I was, I had to kickstart a business, really. So um, I had still, you know, limited knowledge, limited skill. Um, I had limited funds and equipment. And so how on earth do I create a watch which is going to sell? So um, pocket watches I'd always made up until that point. But really I felt, on a, you know, commercially a wristwatch is easier you know there's more more demand for a wristwatch so um i started to look around for ways in which i could speed up the process and i ended up buying in parts of a watch from switzerland trainer wheels escapement and so on and then i hand built the plates around it designed a calendar mechanism built the case and hands and so on and created the series one wristwatch so you know, it's a big step, really. Uh, we made just nine nine of those pieces, all hand-built, you know, in the workshop. Several of them were done by myself, and then when Andy joined me, you know, he took over the production of those. And, you know, I think what was, for me, was fascinating about that sort of process was, you know, here I was on the Isle of Man, how do I sell these watches? And by then, you know, obviously the internet was appearing, People, more and more people were using it. And, um, you know, how do I sell them? So I took a photograph. My mother had bought a digital camera, you know, 
what is now a low-quality digital camera, took a photograph of this, put this on a watch forum, um, and suddenly I was getting phone calls from around the world. And that was incredible. You know, for the first time I realised I could survive outside of a major city, outside of a major watchmaking centre like Switzerland. And that was a big, big moment. And now you you have YouTube hits that that go into well, what what was, what's the latest figure of YouTube hits on your channel? Because it is very high, isn't it? It, it is. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's um, yes. Just to explain, the YouTube uh, many many years ago, I, again I was trying to create a differentiation between my work and other people's work, and so I thought that the best way to explain it is to actually video processes. How do I build these watches? And then so these short videos were put up onto YouTube and I think they've had a, across the range of videos that we've had um, well over a million views now. Um, and that's good. You know, it gets the message out there and it's encouraging a new sort of younger sort of set of people who are trying to make watches, which is 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 brilliant really it's wonderful to know that the young people do still have an interest in sort of hand crafting mm. something especially mm. the way the world is now a very sort mm. of throwaway society uh, coming back to your first watch then uh, your next piece of music i'm so delighted to see some stone roses on your list <laughs> yes. roger smith tell us about this <laughs> <laughs> well being from bolton manchester you know they were all around when i went through the you know this huge period where i was just learning and where I just sort of squirreled myself away in this um, tiny little workshop and worked for sort of six, seven days a week, terrific hours. And this was one of the tracks that I uh, used to play in. Yeah, many memories. Ten story love song. As you Stone Roses, as chosen by my studio guest this afternoon, Roger Smith, who's on the Conister Rock with us. He's not with us for very much long. We've got till three o'clock if you want to send uh, any comments or questions in. I think, uh, I mean, Ken wants to know how to, to sort out his watches around the spring too tight, Roger. I don't know if it's easy enough to say that. In the squ- I think space it needs of- a service. Just a straightforward service will sort that out. It needs a service, Ken. Yes. There you go. So take it to be serviced. Um, so coming back to, we talked about, you know, sort of uh, that you have obviously a, a big client list. I mean, first of all, how long is your waiting list at the moment? Um, officially, it's um, it's about three and a half years at the moment. Wow. So you've got to mm. wait three and a half years, which yes. again is in a way sort of really beautiful because it just shows how much you would value this piece mm. when it turns up and mm. how important it would be to you. Yeah. Is there such a thing as a, as a typical Roger Smith customer? Uh, yes, I would say there is actually. And um, on the whole... I mean, no, not on that. Yeah, a vast proportion of them are self-made. And um, they're all fascinating people, you know, I mean, really interesting people. They've all, you know, done something with their lives. And, um, yeah, that's, for me, is part of the enjoyment, is meeting these people and finding out who they are and, you know, what they have achieved. And some of them have achieved astonishing things. So you do actually meet them? Yes, usually at some point. Yeah, so either they come... Uh, before the order is placed or during or to collect the watch yes yeah there are several clients i've never met but you know the vast proportion yes do make the the, the 
trip over here to the island, so it's wonderful. I, I have to ask, any women on your client list? We do. Yes, yes, quite a few. Yeah. And mm. also very excited to know that you actually have a, a woman working with you now as well. We do, yes. Yes. Very excited about that. <laughs> now, one, one in 11, we need to up that, yes, I think, two. a little well, bit. Caroline, oh, two, of course, Caroline as well. Yes. Yeah, how could we forget lovely Caroline? Yeah, exactly. She does a fantastic job. Um, I, I love the fact, talking about the, the nature of sort of women having watches, I remember talking to you some years ago and you were saying how you know women have jewellery, but the watch sort of serves that purpose for men. Yes, very much so. I always remember this um, client coming to visit us and... Um, he was umming and ahhing for quite a while, you know, as to whether to buy one of these watches. And, um, you know, he wasn't really a watch collector, but he liked what we were doing. And he liked the story. He liked, the obviously, the watch. Um, and he liked to support the skills, the crafts that we were, that we are sort of carrying on. And um, anyway, after several visits, he, he came around. And he said, I've made a decision. I'm going to order one of these watches. And um, so I said, well, have you come to this decision? He said, well, I worked out that I've probably spent as much on my wife and jewellery over the years <laughs> as this watch is going to cost. And so, and I thought that was a lovely fit. That You know, he, he settled it in his mind. And I thought, brilliant. That is fantastic. Uh, we've got one more piece of music that Roger has chosen. So do stay tuned. We'll have it after the break. The Nation Station, Max Abbey Dental, sponsors of Women Today, for all aspects of today's dental care. Highly recommended throughout the Isle of Man. And it is just coming up to 12 minutes to three. Uh, Roger Smith is still with us just for a few minutes. Obviously, Roger, the point of this programme is sharing memories and music. Uh, mm. How hard was it to choose the pieces of music that you had to choose? Well, once I got going, is a very enjoyable, you know, process, really. You know, many memories have come back. So, yeah, it's, it's great. Oh, well, I'm glad it was a good process for you. And do you listen to music? while you're creating and designing and we, building watches? Yes, we do. I mean, we generally just have the radio on and a um, bit of background music. But yes, yes, I, I, I've always enjoyed music. Yeah, and, and I should... Uh, do you know what? I, I have not introduced you yet as Roger Smith OBE. You have some extra letters. That, what does that mean to you? Well, it's... it's yes, to be recognised for your work is, is incredible. And um, a complete surprise when I was told her this news several months ago and yeah it's a real honour really is how did you how did you learn about it i had a phone call from um the governor who asked if i was sitting down um he had some news to tell me and uh so yes it's lovely very nice asked if i would accept it of course i did and can't really say no can no, you no, unless no. you're the beatles yes exactly yeah, yes they did didn't they but so so all of this told all this fantastic story and and you you sort of really just focusing your entire life really on watchmaking um i'm going to throw a bit of a curveball at you if you weren't a watchmaker what would you be <laughs> <laughs> um probably a cabinet maker because my father sent me on interviews for the watchmaking course and the cabinet making course and uh, anyway, the cabinet making course shut down just before I went for the interview. So it's like fate, isn't story. it? Mm. It is yep. fate. Uh, so we've talked all about these beautiful watches. Um, obviously, the waiting list suggests that you're probably not really on the lookout for any future clients, considering it takes three years now anyway. But if people did want to find out more about you, uh, we've mentioned the YouTube. I love the fact you're also on Instagram now. 
Yes, I, I've been on there for several years now. And again, you know, it's just um, trying to get the message across, um, taking little videos of processes and the watches that we make. And yeah, you know, you've got to embrace these sort of social media. And um, yeah, I enjoy it. It's, it's a good way of communicating. Roger Smith down with the kids that's all I'm going to say and uh, we'd, we were talking earlier about the fact that really your next step should be to make a rap video <laughs> yes, I think yes. that would that would be amazing yeah, well, it's, it's got to happen isn't it? <laughs> it has got to happen uh, so thinking back then of, of what you have created so far then Roger what would you say uh, to this point because obviously you have many many more years of fantastic mm, mm. watchmaking ahead of you and I think actually you, you, you would probably be further ahead in your career than Roger than um, George would have been obviously mm. at this point in his life but is there something in particular that you are most proud of whether it's a timepiece or something you've created or yeah i think for me it's the um i mean george left us this incredible escapement the coaxial escapement and um since we've taken it on you know it's it we've been able to really sort of advance it mechanically um i came up with a single wheel version and this single wheel version enable me to really improve the mechanical timekeeper as a whole and um Today we've uh, recently launched or started delivering our Mark II version of this coaxial escapement. And I think it's sort of, I'd like to say it's probably one of the most technically advanced mechanical watches anywhere in the world. And that's simply because of this coaxial technology. And um, we have a watch which um, will now run, I believe, for 10 years without a service. Privately, I'm telling clients 15, 20, 25 years were allowed to service. And this is unheard of in the industry. And this is just because of this incredible coaxial technology and development work we've done. So, yeah, I'm hugely proud of that. And there's still a lot more work to do on that escapement and mechanical movement. Well, it's been fascinating talking talking to you about this today, and we really do appreciate you taking the time because I know what an exceptionally busy man you are, Roger. <laughs> thank you. Uh, so thank you for being with us. Um, uh, just before we go, then we have one final piece of music. Just tell us what it is and why you've chosen it. Yes, this is uh, Vidor's um, Takata, and I don't know, for me it's um, just incredibly powerful music, uh, powerful bit of music. And, uh, you know, I think um, I'm very interested or I... People amaze me, you know, what they can create. And the fact that this guy could sit down, write this piece of music, and it can create such emotion, for me, is wonderful. And that's that's a great side of people. Roger Smith, it's been such a joy. Thank you so much. Uh, we will finish with this piece of music, uh, which I believe was also played at your wedding. It we should was. mention that too. Yes. Uh, if you've missed any part of today's programme, you will, of course, be able to go back and listen again after the programme. And if we will have some video on our Facebook and YouTube channels too. But for the time being, uh, Roger Smith, thank you. This is Takata. <laughs> Wonderful stories and music choices from Roger Smith there, the uh, watchmaker. And we mentioned George Daniels just this month, in fact, November 2022, when Beth and I are recording this. A George Daniels wristwatch 
sold for £3,616,900. And just a matter of days ago, one of Roger's own handmade watches uh, sold in in an online auction for £660,000, which is the second highest to be achieved at auction by a British watchmaker. Wow. I know, exactly. Imagine wearing that on your wrist and going to a nightclub. Gosh, you just wouldn't, would you? (laughs) You You really wouldn't. You wouldn't know, but thank you so much for Roger for sharing his memories there. And as ever, keep an eye out. We will have more replays in the near future, but you can find the whole list of podcasts from Women Today and Later Late Lunch if you go to manxradio.com. Manx Radio.